Anytime you hear the bell today, the Tibetan bell, let it be a reminder to come back to your embodied sense of self. Just redirect your attention to the sense of embodiment, sensing, feeling, moving. Welcome to Mystical Musings, January 15th, 2017. Here in the Mile High City of Denver in the Walker Fine Art Gallery with Myron McClellan and me, Lawrence Phillips. Today, we are beginning our 14th year of Mystical Musings. We are here near the Civic Center heart of the city in one of the oldest of the Denver neighborhoods, the Golden Triangle, known for its numerous art galleries, restaurants, and neoclassical architecture. Those of us who identify as spiritual but not religious, who are non-sectarian, non-denominational, non-doctrinaire, are the fastest growing demographic of the sacred communities in America. Thank you for joining us today. Creating our community of mystics, people finding unity with God, the breath of life, the gentle whisper, the great spirit. As a community of mystics who know beyond the intellect, spiritual apprehension of truths. I am because we are. I am because we are one, celebrating body and spirit. To the lovely lady standing in the back, there's a chair right here.
today's mystic portal? Innocence, inner sensing. Do we lose our innocence or just misplace it? Does innocence end because of the seemingly inevitable effects of growing older? Or does it get transformed? So we often don't recognize it anymore. In this complex and challenging world, is access to innocence even desirable? Innocence is our true inner sense. We are born with Buddha nature, with purity, presence, wonder, joy. Innocence, inner sense, is our platform for our being human and for learning anything, especially the spiritual art of the mystic. Thank you for joining us as we celebrate what feels to us as an unfolding of a whole new cycle of endeavor, personally and collectively. Jesus called a little child to stand amongst them. Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Surely, I have composed and quieted my soul like a weaned child rests against his mother or her mother. My soul is like a weaned child within me. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. For the mystic, of course, the Bible is an experiential mixture of allegory, history, and contemplative opportunity. How do we become as little children? In what sense? Since one of the great spiritual prizes is on the block, the kingdom of heaven, how do we recover our innocence? We are born with Buddha nature, pure, whole, wondrous, loving. So the stamp of innocence is part of our awakening into our human form. Little children are vulnerable, curious, playful, tender, with a sweetness of heart, twinkly. We can use our embodied capacity to learn as a vehicle to recover innocence by way of inner sensing. Our capacity to sense ourselves inwardly is our foundation for learning how to move in the world. We learn to move, but then forget to keep a channel open to our innocence, being so preoccupied with living out in the world. Movement awareness helps to generate presence, which opens us to innocence. Innocence for the mystic is not limited by chronology. Innocence can be present at any age, any time, for anyone. One of the easier approaches is by facing how we face the mystic moment. Are our jaws set? Can you feel the quality of your jaw right now? Is it set? Is it clamped? Are the teeth tight together? The lips pursed? 
What about the sense of the eyes? Are you staring or just gazing? Let the jaw and the eyes soften now, whatever you need to do to let them go gently. Are the eyes fixed or are they darting slightly, moving, or are they dancing? Are the spines longer, taller, or are they a bit more compressed? noticing what you can do to let your spine be longer. And I do recommend in these processes to uncross the legs if you wish. You don't have to. Feldenkrais, the work that I do, is not somatically fascist. So (laughs) if you would like to cross your legs, go right ahead. I recommend it. It opens the breathing, opens the chi, the energy of life. Can you allow the breathing to be a bit more full? Noticing most of us are Inhale, exhale. What about if it's four counts in and four counts out? Just noticing throughout the musing what it's like to just allow yourself to breathe a little more fully. We soften, we deepen, changing our fundamental self-image in how we approach the moment of deeper contemplation, more vulnerable, more curious, more open. Thus we change how we act in the world, spreading more love and joy, peace and presence in these in darkening times. So sensing the face, it's easier to do with the eyes closed, but some of you might be able to have them very softly open. Noticing again jaw and eyes, Is your brow furrowed? Softening, letting go. If you don't know how, then tighten a little bit first and on the exhale, let go. So tighten a little bit of your brow, furrow the brow and take a breath. And on the exhale, just let it go. sense what remains. That's the imprint. We have imprint all the time. We rarely, if ever, pay much attention to it with our almost exclusive focus culturally on cognition, thinking mind. We have to thank for that Descartes way back in 1615, cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am. He might have said, I sense, feel, move, even spirit as well as think, therefore, I am. But technology and history required thinking. Now we need to come back more into balance. So noticing your face, sensing and feeling. This is inner sensing. This is felt perception or innocence. A freshness which invites an unfolding of our innate codes for balance and harmony, as well as our inherent capacities for soothing 
consoling, peace, joy, presence, even sanctuary and refuge. So when we're feeling anxious in this way, releasing the mask of the face as you have been doing, inner sensing, innocencing, is very helpful with chronic issues and can be useful in a crisis by accessing center, ground, breath. Inner sensing is helpful with injury, for example, inhibiting the atrophy commonly associated with healing a broken limb. Inner sensing is helpful with learning anything. I first came across innocence as a functional awareness through the Feldenkrais work, movement awareness work in 1972, followed by Shunryu Suzuki Roshi's great spiritual guide, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. And eventually, Michael Brown's presence process. We bring innocence to mystic practice by evoking beginner's mind, by intentionally letting go of all outer distractions and adopting an attitude of openness, ease, curiosity. My teacher, Dr. Moshe Feldenkrais, admired Zen above all other disciplines, well, except for his own. <laughs> Says that we learn with the Feldenkrais method as an expert beginner, practicing intentionally with fresh eyes, opening to unexpected possibility, exploring non-habitually, as children do, not limited by thinking mind. We invite innocence by sensing inwardly with our breath, by extending our exhale just a little bit, holding it out just a little bit, no strain, don't hurt. Hold it out, hold it out, hold it out, hold it out, and then let the breath come in. And again, just exhale all the way, hold it out, hold it out, hold it out. Wait for the urge, and then breathe in. That inhale, that refreshing inhale, somatic innocence goes beyond the automatic, the unconscious, testifies to an evoked innocence or freshness of perception. And now, just think about a puppy. Namaste. It's so great to see everybody here at the start of the new year in a, a, a very troubling way. Well, when I get here, I don't feel any of that trouble. <laughs> I just look at you as these open-hearted, open-minded people who are willing to co-create with Lawrence and me a beautiful space of welcome for the divine presence. I can see your open hearts. I can feel your open minds. I can feel your connection to spirit. And it is exciting. If you knew how much this meant, means to Lawrence and me, you'd have to laugh. You'd just have to say, amazing. This is our haven. Although 
Lawrence and I are haven to one another for sure. But this is our haven where we come, where we can open our hearts. We can be who we are. We can be just as loving as we want to be. We can be just as aware as we want to be. This is a place of permission. This is a place of invitation to bring forth into us the divine presence and the blessings that brings. This weekend is a celebration of Martin Luther King's birthday. I had the great pleasure of sitting close to him with a small group of people, not by invitation, but by luck of the draw. And he and other people that I knew, members of the faculty at Wesleyan, my alma mater, had just returned from the Freedom Rides in Alabama, if you remember those. And uh, when Dr. King spoke in the chapel, and the other people did too, I was amazed that there was no rancor. There was no mention of how they were chased away. There was just the joy of finding themselves in a place that needed blessing. And that's what they talked about. No fear, no judgment, no fatigue, just celebration. When I was sitting close to Dr. King, that was in the Wesleyan Chapel, and there was a small group that got to go to this smaller, smaller room and ask questions of Dr. King. As I sat close to him, the thing that struck me was that he had this profound sense of peace this profound piece of everything's okay. There's nothing, nothing to judge. It's all in the flow. And this awesome sense of innocence. And it struck me because thinking of him as a fiery protester, a fiery activist, and seeing that that could coexist with being a contemplative minister, a contemplative person, so that the difference between those two was erased. It was very inspiring. He had such heart and, again, such innocence, and it showed on his face, and he had a radiance that affected all of us. I didn't have the word for it then, but I thought, my goodness, what is this? I feel like I'm in sacred space. So it's appropriate for us to celebrate him today because there is this question about activism and being contemplative as if they were opposites, and they're not. They can coexist. And one of the best ways to find them coexisting is in the innocent part of ourselves. And that I will talk about later. Meanwhile, I want to say welcome to all the new people. It's great to have you here. Um, please come back when you can. We're a friendly group, so don't be afraid to approach anyone. 
And don't be afraid to be affectionate with anyone. Um, we're an innocent crowd. We're lambs. <laughs> uh, so welcome.
there is an innocence inherent in Myron's playing because every time is new, every time is different. I'm in awe, beloved, how you channel the presence of all of us into the magic of your beautiful expression. Thank you. Many of you know about my passion for finding incipient evidence for mass positive transformation. I find this sort of innocence in transformation and I find a very extraordinary innocence in mass transformation, especially in the face of so many of the darkening events of our current age. It certainly appears that events are darkening as we speak in so many regards. The immense challenges <clears throat> The immense challenges of climate change, nuclear proliferation, terrorism, polarized politics, immigration, to name a few. But we are not told much about the population growth slowing down, that we are getting more connected than ever before in human history, that we are wasting less and consuming less. We're not told much about our living in a relatively stabilizing world an urbanizing world, an aging world. There are many things about which to feel frightened, but there is no reason for us to fear each other as much as we do. We tend to focus on the immediate bad news, and there is a great deal of it, but there are also some combined with negative, extraordinarily, potentially positive wild cards afoot. Infant mortality is falling worldwide. More children are going to school and learning to read and write and are going on to college than ever before. And the highest number, <clears throat> the highest number going to college are women. Robotics is emerging as a potent economic force. China is rising and asserting itself. Nigeria will be the third largest country in the world by 2050. Life expectancy has gone up worldwide from 64 to 70 with the biggest jump in the poorest region of the earth, Africa. The proportion of people living in extreme poverty was cut in half between 1990 and 2010. While still a minor part of the global energy mix, solar power generation in the U.S. has increased by a factor of 1,000 since 2005, with the price dropping dramatically coupled with new transformative battery technology. The second half of the world is getting online, mostly with mobile tech. Incoming inequality is accelerating. Syria and Iraq remain chaotic. Climate change will have dramatic consequences with coastal cities worldwide at great risk. Water will become increasingly scarce. Some scientists indicate a third of all species will be extinct by the turn of the century. Amid all these extraordinary wild cards, both positive and negative, genetics is becoming a mature field with the cost of sequencing a human genome falling by several orders of magnitude over the past 15 years, going from $100 million in 2001 to sequence a, completely a human genome to 2014 when the cost was $10,000. $100 million to 10,000. Emerging technologies, excuse me.
Emerging technologies greatly potentiate revolutionizing medicine in ways not even dreamable a decade ago. Enter CRISPR, C-R-I-S-P-R, all capitalized. This month's incipient evidence for mass positive transformation. CRISPR allows scientists to easily and inexpensively find and alter almost any piece of DNA in any species. Just in 2016, genes of vegetable, sheep, and mosquitoes have been edited. Shortly, the genes of human beings who have advanced cancer will be added to the list of edited genomes, whose immune cells will hopefully be enhanced to fight tumors. The not unfounded hope is that this, from this technology will emerge radical new therapies to heal genetic diseases like sickle cell anemia, cystic fibrosis, as well as chronic conditions like type 2 diabetes and Alzheimer's. Sean Parker of Silicon Valley and Napster fame recently created a quarter billion dollar institute as a collaboration among six major cancer centers to study cancer immunology. CRISPR has lit a fire. Hopefully, this Promethean-like effort will not punish but regard, uh, reward us with cures for diseases that have escaped our reach for millennia. Before CRISPR, gene correction was not new, but it never worked well enough so that people could do it routinely. Now, scientists have a tool with the probable, unprecedented control over any genome, making it possible to delete bits of the DNA, add snippets of genetic material, and even insert entirely new pieces of code. Thus far, CRISPR has produced a mushroom that doesn't brown many nutritionally superior crops as well as promising techniques to fight, to fight Zika and malaria. Researchers have snipped out HIV from infected human cells and also they're working on treating rare forms of genetic blindness and muscular dystrophy. Whatever side of the GMO battle that you're on, the CRISPR technology is offering us the ability to insert almost any trait into plants like drought resistance, pest resistance, added vitamins, the ability to avoid cancerous response in the processing of food. There is no doubt but that this technology could be misused, and for some of us, we regard it now as being misused, even abused. Having this technology also allows human beings to alter human evolution. So far, CRISPR has stayed away from embryos due to self-regulation and guidance from the National Institutes of Health. But even with the possibility for misuse, there is a tremendous potential for a revolution in medicine that is coming upon us at amazing speed with extraordinary funding and a track record so far that is guaranteeing us mass positive transformation. Namaste, Shalom, Christ be with you, Assalamu alaikum, Adieu, Adios, Aloha, Namaste. We honor the place in you wherein the entire universe dwells. We honor the place in you which is of love, of light, of dark, of truth, of peace. As you are in that 
place in you, and we are in that place in us. We are one, sensing inwardly our innocence. Namaste. It is easy in these days with all the turmoil all over the world to think pessimistically about what's going on. And as much as we try to avoid watching television news or keeping up in detail with all of the tragedy in the world, we are still affected by it because it's in the collective that we are co-creating. So that sometimes we cry without knowing why. We get enraged without knowing why. And we grieve deeply. And those overcome us and we sit with them, we experience them, we feel them. I have never known a time in my life when just sitting by myself, I begin to sob. I don't describe to myself what I'm sobbing about. I just allow myself to sob and then it's over. So in this time when so much of us can exist in chaos and disturbance and pessimism and hopelessness, we seek <clears throat> the forces within us that can reassure us that all is well. And despite what we read in the papers, it's all going according to plan. And my thought is, this shakes us up. It grabs us by the heel, heels, and turns us upside down and shakes us. And that kind of shaking, that kind of confusion, is absolutely necessary if our consciousness is to go to the next level of awareness. We have to let go of what's old. And so so much shadow comes up, and it really assists us in letting know, letting go, and of needing to know. It's a place we go in faith. In these last couple of months, Lawrence and I have had a practice of calling on the innocence within us. In my meditations, I simply open to the part of me that's innocent. And I have various names for it, magical child, which I borrow from Joseph 
Chilton Pierce. The essential self, the real self we were born with, we do not come into this life under the cast of sin. Now, I know that's heretical to Orthodox Christians because it's such a deep teaching, original sin we have to be redeemed from. Well, if you've spent any time with an infant, I defy you to find the sin in that infant. <laughs> so uh, a great humanistic uh, psychologist, Abraham Maslow, in the 60s shocked the world by saying, no, we come in innocent. We are innocent when we come in. We cover over that innocence as we grow and develop an ego and develop the illusion of separateness. The child often does not know that he's separate. He doesn't know that he's separate from his mother's breast. He's one with that. And that child is always with us. That child is always expanding, but it is always innocent. And in that innocence, we can feel deep peace. And we can also help ourselves move out of judgment. Because the innocent self has no idea how to judge. It's not a part of its repertoire. The innocent accepts, loves, is excited about, and plays. Right? We we're born playful. Now again, we cover that over with layers of ego and all the other things I don't need to talk about. But we can always know that part of us is not only there, but that is available. So in meditations, in these last couple of months, sitting, lying down, standing, going to bed, if I hold the innocent child of me, it takes away every care. And it reassures me, this is the essential you. This is the essential me. So for all the corruption over all these years that I have created for myself, that child just is there playing, being loving, knowing. The innocent child knows. The innocent child does not think. The innocent child knows, and it grows as we grow, but it is always there, always there, telling us who we essentially are. And in this time where it's so easy to judge, at least I find myself coming up with judgments <coughs> like that, if I go, first of all, to my innocent child, the judgment goes away. If after I felt my fear, anger, grief, felt it through, I then turn to my inner innocent child and I know 
all is well. All is well. It's a time when, despite our best efforts, we find ourselves judging people. We find ourselves judging politicians and, and public figures and whoever else comes up for us. And, and we do it before we know it. We like to think of ourselves as non-judgmental people, and I say as a whole, we're non-judgmental people, but we're human beings, you know, and we are not in that place where we, that doesn't happen. So this month, we've made a practice of looking at the inner child, the innocent child, the magical child, in those whom we are criticizing and judging. And if you look at the inner child of Putin, for example. <laughs> then we are not afraid. And everyone has that innocent child and it brings us away from judgment. Now, the inner child needs protection. We can take the inner child out into the world and do because that puts us in this loving, non-judgmental place, but we have to have discernment. So if we're in a situation in which we feel that magical child is being abused, then the guardian within us comes forward and builds a shield against the offense. Doesn't change the nature of the innocent child. And you know when you're out of that conflict situation, you can go right back in that space of innocence. The child, the innocent child, is always joyful. Many of us here have raised infants. And so when I think of Peg's children, whom she has liberally let me love, and remember when they were just toddlers, how free they were, how creative they were, how playful they were. They could make a toy out of anything. And this is an era, I promise you, and you probably already know it, of great creativity. Great creativity. We're feeling more creative than ever, I think. Don't you think? It's really coming forth. It's coming forth to create out of joy, not out of stress, not out of fear, but out of exuberance. The exuberance of oneness with the divine presence, it is just an expression of that exuberance that we create what we create. And that's happening more and more, and it's evident. And that is really what is helping us through this period of time and that creativity is a form of activism 
right now because it blesses the collective. So our joy always goes into the collective. Our playfulness goes into the collective. And you can hear the collective calling to us, give us light, give us something to hope for, give us relief from the burdens and the fear of radical change. Let us have your gifts. And so we create. Create out of who we are, out of who we essentially are, not out of our graduate school experience, not out of all the books we've read, but out of who we are. We create, and that creation can go on constantly. It doesn't matter. If I'm at the supermarket, I can be in a creative place. And I can see everyone in that creative place. And I can see all the people I know the best and have known the longest as the child. It's like I don't have to know anything about you. That's not helpful to me. That puts me in my past and puts me in my head. But if I'm seeing my innocent child go to Peg's innocent child, even though we've known one another for over 40 years, we're in a different place. Now, this connection, inner child, inner innocent child, inner magical child, with someone else's magical child, that's what Martin Buber calls an I-thou experience. And you've heard me speak extensively about the I-thou experience as opposed to the I-it experience in which the other person is an object. In the I-thou experience, we don't recognize any disunity. We don't recognize that that other person is not us. So when we're in that awesome state of awareness, and we can live there honestly, then, as Buber says, the eternal I, the eternal presence manifests. And it's in our innocent child that the divine presence manifests and is always manifesting. So I don't think of that child as not moving as some static part of myself, but as some part of myself that's always rejoicing in the knowledge of the amazing beauty of the divine presence. And I notice when I am feeling the most down about something radically happening in the collective, in our country or abroad, I will lament that. And as I have finished the lament, as I've felt it all the way through, this extraordinary joy comes up in me. It just does. It's not something I have to evoke. It's just something there, the joy of assurance 
that those world leaders are not in charge. They have the illusion that they are in charge. But this is not their world. I know they'd be shocked to hear me say that. <laughs> this is the world that is created in grace, attended, blessed, loved, protected, and deepened in its knowledge and awareness. This is the world exactly as the Creator wants the world today. What the Creator wants for us today is to be together and to celebrate the life of the Creator and to celebrate the light that is in everyone and to remind ourselves that we are all still innocent children, full of wonder, full of amazement. As you know, that's what the infant does, absolutely amazed. And that's part of us, and that is where we can go. And so as I meditate lying down, I open myself up to that magical child, to that innocent part of me, and I feel it, and it feels great. When I'm meditating and sitting, I do the same thing at night. I invite the innocent child to come and cuddle with me because I want to know how loved it is. And I want it to know that I'm going to protect it and that it has a life and there's more room in my life than ever before for its presence. And so, as we feel our innocence, all of that joy, that wonder, that amazement goes out and blesses everyone. It can't not do that. So, this is my contemplative form of activism. There are other forms. And we have in our family uh, our beloved friend Sven, who is a fiery activist and a contemplative at the same time. So we know that that's possible. And we know he's much younger than we are. So he can go stand on I-25 and block the traffic. <laughs> Lawrence and I, we just have to hobble <laughs> on our canes to reach the middle lane. So <laughs> we're glad that we have him <laughs> doing it for us. Thank you, Sven. <laughs> and thank you, everyone else, for opening your hearts. I can see your innocence. I celebrate it. It gives me more joy than I can ever put into words. So may God continue to bless our innocent, give us more of the innocence. May God continue to bless us in all ways, at all times, so that we can bring forth unspeakable joy.
Namaste.
So we've been sitting for a while. What's your sense of your face? The butt work is advanced work. We're not doing that today. But we are working with the face. So just notice from the inside what happens. Now, of course, it's just been changed because you're laughing. But one way to play when we want to open to a little bit of innocence is to just let movement happen with your face. So let your mouth move from one corner to the other, pulling You might even make a really strange sound, if you wish. <laughs> Adults don't like to do that, but talk to the child part of yourself. Mm, 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 mm. Now let that pause and just sense your mouth jaw. A little more subtle, a little more challenging to get in touch with are the eyes. But we are so visual, almost as visual as we are cognitive. And so letting your eyes, and no strain now, don't want to hurt anything, but you're going to go all the way to the right and all the way to the left without turning your head much. You're just letting your eyes traverse a horizontal line all the way easily to one side, all the way easily to the other side, and just noticing without turning your head very much, but just letting the eyes move. That line, that horizontal line of action, and pause again and just sense your eyes for a moment. We're so busy looking with our eyes, we often don't gaze just to let the world come to us. So now, if you really want to have a fun face boogie, <laughs> you will let your eyes and mouth move to one side. And then the eyes and the mouth move to the other side. Yeah, and let that pause. And just sense, because we always have imprint. It's always there. We don't often access it. Just notice. Notice how your face is changing, how the mask is shifting. And then if you really want to have fun, let your eyes go in one direction and your <laughs> mouth in the other. And let that pause. And notice mirth is inevitable. You can't play with your face in this way that adults rarely do without some mirth emerging. <laughs> it's a mirth emergence. A mirth and gee. No, that doesn't work. <laughs> Close. So just sense your face now. Noticing how you're facing the moment a little differently. What follows now are mystic gemstones set in the foundation of life 
designed to sparkle our hearts. So we get, don't get too anchored in the cognitive realm. Attributions for these mystic gems are available on the table behind me or by email. So let us continue evoking presence with breathing just a little more fully that we may invoke our inner sensing, our innocence, as we allow the shimmer of deepened presence. I recommend that we close off the visual cortex. Let that quieten. Let your eyes close, if you would. For children are innocent and love justice, while most of us are wicked and naturally prefer mercy. Every act of rebellion expresses a nostalgia for innocence and an appeal to the essence of our being. It is never too late to have a happy childhood. Innocence is much more powerful than experience. The most sophisticated people I know, inside, they are all children. It takes a very long time to become young. I feel like I'm a much better person when I'm developing my imagination and my innocence and my vulnerability. I like that version of me better than the version where I'm just working on my analytical mind. <clears throat> and that's what innocence is. It's simple and trusting like a child, not judgmental and committed to one narrow point of view. If you're locked into a pattern of thinking and responding, your creativity gets blocked. You miss the freshness and magic of the moment. Learn to be innocent again, and that freshness never fades. We've let the blade of our innocence dull over time, and it's only in innocence that you find any kind of magic, any kind of courage. The others cast themselves down upon the fragrant grass, but Frodo stood a while, still lost in wonder. It seemed to him that he had stepped through a high window that looked on a vanished world. A light was upon it, for which his language had no name. All that he saw was shapely, but the shape seemed, to, seemed at once clear-cut, as if they had been first conceived and drawn at the uncovering of his eyes, an ancient 
as if they had endured forever. He saw no color, but those he knew, gold, white, blue, green, were fresh and poignant, as if he had at that moment first perceived them and made for them names new and wonderful. In winter here, no heart could mourn for summer or for spring. No blemish or sickness or deformity could be seen in anything that grew upon the earth. On the land of Lurian, there was no stain. You can find your dream if you firmly believe. You have to have the innocence. You have to have the daringness to trust. If you're strong enough to be weak enough, to be innocent enough, you're given the wound that does not heal. It is the gift that keeps the heart open. In their innocence, very young children know themselves to be light and love. If we will allow them, they can teach us to see ourselves the same way. You were born a child of light's wonderful secret. You return to the beauty you have always been. The essential self is innocent, and when it tastes its own innocence, knows that it lives forever. Thank you so much for being here today. It is truly a privilege to get to share our musings with each and every one of you. Namaste.